Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 13 through 21. The title of the message is Jesus Prays for You. The premise of this series is to know what Jesus would pray if we asked Him to pray for us. On occasion, I will get a text message or an email, something posted on Facebook perhaps, requesting me and others to pray for a certain situation, a certain issue or problem. I got a a text message from Jim Horn this week asking me and several of his friends to pray for his daughter, Cheryl, who has a um, a degenerative disease, it seems like, in her, in her spinal cord, and uh, she's in a great deal of pain. So you pray for Cheryl. Cheryl uh, grew up in this church. Part of her time she grew up in this church. And of course, Jim and Susie, longtime missionaries here. What would Jesus pray for if he were praying for us? Would he pray for the economy to get better? Would he pray for us to get that promotion Would he really involve himself in praying for us to get the promotion? Would he pray for our team to win? I think all of those matters and more like them are worthy of prayer. But Jesus didn't mention the economy and he didn't mention uh, the promotions and he didn't mention anybody's team other than who's on the Lord's side. He didn't mention any of those in his prayer with his disciples in the upper room. And this is a prayer that included you, and it included me. We have seen Jesus now as the perfect son praying to his Father in heaven. Last week, we saw his desire for us to know him and how that we are a gift to him from the Father. Now he takes up praying for us, naming specific requests to the Father that will benefit the disciples who are around him, and benefit every believer, including you and me. Beginning in verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only. Commission also for those who will believe me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, Jesus makes seven specific requests regarding you and me. 
The setting is that he is at the time of the Last Supper. He's not yet gone out into the Garden of Gethsemane, but he is at the Last Supper, and he is having a prayer for his disciples. And as he prays for his disciples, he clearly shows that you and I are supposed to be included in the prayer. Now, each of these requests that we're going to see today applies to you and me. And he began with something that all of us want out of life. He begins with pleasure. He prays that we will have pleasure in life. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, the word joy there means the positive human condition. That's what joy is. It's the positive human condition. Yesterday, a lot of people watched college football. Some people experienced joy, a positive human condition. Others did not experience joy yesterday. Joy is pleasure. Joy is, it's deeper than happiness, but it's like happiness. One reason that some do not come to know the Lord is that they believe that they are prevented from having the pleasures of life. They believe that if they get saved, they will be robbed of their pleasure, that they will no longer have the benefit of a positive human condition. This could not be further from the the truth. Jesus came to multiply our lives, not to diminish our lives. He came to build our lives up, not to wither our lives away. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, he says, on the other hand, came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Without question, the pleasures of our lives are examined when we get saved. There are different kinds of pleasures in life. Some pleasures are sinful pleasures. There's no question of that. Those are the pleasures that last for a season. Those are the pleasures that last for a little while. Those are the pleasures that are often followed by guilt. You partake of of certain sinful pleasures and After you have partaken of the sinful pleasures, you ask yourself, why did I do that? Why did I fall uh, victim? Why did I fall victim to that one more time? Why did I involve myself again in that? So there's no question that the pleasures of the world should be examined. And if they're sinful pleasures, then I think that, that we should not pursue those sinful pleasures as believers. However, beyond that, there are many wonderful pleasures, pleasures that the world enjoys as well as we enjoy. They are a positive human condition. And Jesus said, I've come that they might have not only a positive human condition, but they might have it more abundantly, that other people might notice that their human condition is just a whole different thing from everybody else's human condition. So Jesus prayed for us to have joy or pleasure 
or happiness. But he also prayed that we would be able to realize it within ourselves. He said that their, my joy may be fulfilled in themselves. So many of us depend on the actions of someone else or the circumstances around us to determine whether or not we have joy. But Jesus said, I want them to have joy within. I want them to experience the positive human condition without having to depend on somebody else. I want them to live in my joy. Now think about that. Living in the joy of Jesus. What an awesome way to live. We certainly want others to see his joy in our lives. However, waiting for the actions of someone else to, uh, or the change of our circumstances in order to have his joy is not the point. The point is he wants us to have his joy. And he wants us to have his joy today, now, without waiting. No waiting lines. He wants us to have the joy. It's something like Paul determined when he said, I can be content in whatever state of life I'm in. What he was saying is, I can find joy within myself. I can find Jesus' joy, Jesus' pleasure within myself, regardless of the circumstances around me. So when Jesus prayed for you and me, he prayed that we might know the pleasure of life, true joy within, to know his joy. So if you have been avoiding salvation and avoiding uh, inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be your Savior because you feel like, man, this Christian life's going to be a bummer. Uh, I'm not going to have any more fun. All of my fun is gone when I get saved. I got good news for you. Jesus prayed that you and I would have joy pleasure, a positive human condition. Here's what else he prayed, that we would know purity. Now, for some people, that is the end of their joy. It's because they don't want to know purity. And if they're going to have to live a life of of moral purity, then, well, there's no joy. I'd rather live in immorality than in purity. Life's no fun without immorality. But that's not true. Yet there are people that feel that way. Jesus said, I'm praying that they not only have pleasure, but that they have purity. A few years ago, when I was in Ukraine, I went to a a restaurant at a a lake resort, and uh, they had a, a gazebo on a little peninsula that, that went out um, <clears throat> into, the, uh, into the lake. And on that gazebo, you could have lunch or dinner. And so I was there for lunch with my friend Victor. And uh, this lake was a place where locals came to swim. You don't really think about going to Ukraine or Romania or places like that and, and people going swimming. I just don't think about that. I I mean, I think of those places as cold places, but they're not always cold. Sometimes they're warm enough for people to swim. And so we were at this lake resort having lunch, and it 
<clears throat> it really wasn't a, a beach that they had. It was more of a bank, like a, like a river bank. And as we sat at the gazebo that was on that little small peninsula, there were a few people on either sides of the lake swimming. And they were swimming and they were talking and laying out in the sun and so on. And I'm talking to my friend, Victor, and as I was talking to Victor, I could see over his shoulder people on the shore, on the, the bank. They were, they were swimming. And uh, as I was talking to him, I noticed that there was a man over on the bank who was taking all of his clothes off, <clears throat> all of them. I mean, down as, as uh, my friend uh, over at Killarn used to say, down to the naughty. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, they, they, this guy literally <clears throat> took his clothes off down to the naughty. And uh, I said to my friend, I said, uh, Victor, da, <clears throat> that guy over there is naked. Victor goes, <clears throat> da. <clears throat> I said, do people do that here? Some do. I don't. <clears throat> for which I greatly was praising God. <clears throat> now, it's an interesting thing to me how people defend, and last week I talked about cultural relativism, how people defend cultural relativism. Recently I read a blog by a, a pastor defending his position for being rather permissive regarding certain areas of life, and and he wrote the blog because of the culture in which he was ministering. His position was along the lines of, of what I said last week, cultural relativism. That is, participation results in opportunity. That you may not go as far as the culture, but participating a little bit in the culture gives you opportunity. Now, I thought about that when I thought about uh, my friend Victor. By the measure of cultural rel relativity, naked evangelism <clears throat> would be just the thing. I mean, seriously, that's the way to reach those who are at the result, uh, at the resort. Just, you know, take off all your clothes and give out tracts. That would relate. Do you understand that, don't you? I mean, that would relate. The people were getting naked around us. <clears throat> I was eating lunch. If I remember correctly, I had on a tie. <clears throat> you talk about out of place. I should have at least gone down to the skivvies. <clears throat> Just so that I could relate to everyone. Look. As believers, we must appreciate the culture in which we live. But there is a calling to challenge the culture by a life of change, not a life of imitation. That's the purity. That's what Jesus was praying. Three times in our text for today, Jesus speaks of the importance of being set apart from the world, being different from the world around us. John 17 and 14. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not in the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means set them apart. Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. In each of these three verses, we're told that our relationship to the world should result in a difference, or to the Word, should result in a difference in our lives. We certainly do not set out to be hated by the world. I don't want to be hated by the world. I want to be liked. I want people to, to like me. But in an effort to get people to like me so that they will hear what I have to say, I, I don't want to be changed by the culture. I want to challenge the culture. Look, uh, if you have a hard time seeing that my challenge is to, is, is, uh, if you have a hard time seeing that, my challenge is for you to keep a pencil and paper and see the number of times that the world is trying to challenge your culture instead of you challenging the world's culture. I don't know how many years ago that, that I, I brought a message, and it's been some time, but the title of the message was The Gay Agenda. And I, I talked about the fact that there was an agenda, and I gave you uh, line by line by line what the agenda was, and I said, look for those things in the world today. Now, I'm here to tell you that if, if you are, uh, if you stand for heterosexual marriage, then you are labeled as a homophobe. They have a label for you now. You know why? Because the world hates what God stands for. The world hates what Jesus stands for. Now, I could go on and on with that, but clearly, we are not here to imitate the world. If we're here to imitate the world, it will not be long until the Word will have no bearing on the world, none at all. The prayer of Jesus was that we would distinguish ourselves in a world that is hostile, not blend in with the worldliness. There, shouldn't, there should be something friendly about the uh, believer there should be something attractive about the believer, but none of those things that are friendly or attractive should be construed as something that fails to challenge the world. We're in the position and must be in the position of challenging the world. Don't forget 2 Corinthians 6. This is still in the Bible. Verse 16, what agreement, agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Has God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Jesus is praying for us today. He prays for our pleasure. He plays, prays for our purity Thirdly, he prays for our protection. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, our life is not a life of isolation. 
That's not what being separate from the world means. We're not to be isolated. We are most definitely to be living in the world. That is where his work are done, is done. Some religious sects, uh, they live communally without a mission to the lost world around them. But that was not the prayer of Jesus. Jesus did not pray that we would live isolated, that we would, however, that we would live lives that were effective in a lost and dying world. We're in a world, but we're in a unique position in this world. Here's what 1 John says, chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The prayer of Jesus is for the protection of the believers. Among other things, that is the purpose of someone like me, a pastor, a shepherd. My role, and those of us who are spiritual leaders, are here to protect you, not expose you to the things that can rob you of your joy, your freedom, your effectiveness, and your calling. There are plenty of robbers out there. There are plenty of people that are here to, um, to approve your lives and to gather your life into them without challenge. If you go to some, someone and you, let's say you're sitting in a, a circle and, and a gossip circle or spit and whittle club or whatever it may be, and, and you begin to talk about the way that you think it ought to be. I just think that... that Everybody that's just trying to, to love God and everybody believes God that, that we're all going to the same place and, and it really doesn't matter how you live and, and it doesn't really matter how much like everybody else you are. In fact, I think it's better. Uh, God wants us to enjoy everything. I mean, I think it's better that way. You're going to get a lot of amens in that gossip circle. You're going to get a lot of, of amens in that spit and whittle club because they are not there to challenge your life. And let me say this, if there's someone in that circle that challenges your life, uh, people are going to stare at them like a calf staring at a new gate. They're going to say, what's, what's wrong with you? Look, I'm here and, and I believe that, that God's house and God's people should, should be here for a different reason than approving the world in us. We are here partially to challenge the world in us. What did Jesus pray in the model prayer? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, for a lot of reasons, I didn't pursue naked evangelism over in Ukraine. <clears throat> I was trying to promote the gospel, not hinder the gospel. So there are a lot of reasons that I didn't promote that. But I will say this, that that simple prayer of Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are certain expectations that we should have from one another to cause us to, to be a challenge in our culture and not just to conform to our culture. Uh, Satan is always looking for a way to render me ineffective and to render you as ineffective. 
And it is not my, my goal to see how close to the edge <clears throat> that, that I can drive you as believers. It is my goal to make sure that you stay back so that you don't get a wheel off the edge and tumble off the cliff. <clears throat> Here's what Peter said concerning Satan in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know who he wants to devour? You. He wants to devour you, and he wants to devour me. That's what he wants. And he's looking. He's looking. He walks about looking. Jesus is praying for us. And he prays for our pleasure. He prays for our purity. He prays for our protection. He also prays for our perspective. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, Jesus won't leave this theme. He just, <clears throat> he just stays on it. Clearly, this is something that we're supposed to understand in our Christian life. Becoming too comfortable with the world is dangerous. It's like the frog in the kettle. Boil the water, <clears throat> drop the frog in the kettle, and the frog will jump out of the water immediately. <clears throat> Put the frog in a kettle of cold water, Put the kettle on the stove, heat it up slowly, and the frog will cook in the kettle. And, and what the Lord is trying to, to, to pray for you and, and for me is that we'll have that perspective, that we will understand when the, the temperature is rising and we're being cooked. Sometimes we wait too late to understand that. We wait until we're already numb, and then we say, something's cooking. Something's cooking, and and it might be me. Something is is boiling, and, and it could be me. When God saved you, He delivered you from the eternal punishment of sin, the reality of a place called hell. God doesn't want any of us to go to hell, but He also did something else. He placed you in the position of warning others from that awful place. And if we do not see our mission clear, we will allow ourselves to become nullified by the world around us. That's just what Satan does. Satan wants to put us in a position where people who need the message will not hear the message from us. Are you getting that? He wants to put us in a position where that people who need the message of Jesus will not hear it from you or me. And the reason is because they look at our lives and they say, you know, I don't know why I should listen to you. There's nothing different about your life. Each of us have different lives to navigate, and the paths we take give us opportunities and temptations. The world is going to always tempt us. It's going to tempt me in a different way than it's going to tempt you. But regardless of how we are tempted, we must remember our calling. We must remember that we are here to challenge, not conform, to the culture. 
had a guy say to me yesterday, <clears throat> I, I was, I was um, somewhere, and, <clears throat> and well, I was, I was at my grandson's football game and, and talking to some, some guys and just enjoying the time. And, and, uh, and this guy, real good guy, a really, really good guy, he said, uh, and, and I'm being my typical funny self, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. He said, see, that's why I want to come and hear you preach. And I, th- I thought to myself, all right, that's pretty close to the edge for me. <clears throat> not that I shouldn't be a good guy and not that I shouldn't have, be entertaining. But I, I, I want people to see something in my life that would be attractive to them, but also challenging to them. Now, I'd rather him say that than say this. You know, you're such a nasty character. I don't see how anybody could come and listen to you preach. You understand? I'd rather say the one than the other. But I will tell you that when someone says something like that to you, there is that temptation to want to follow the the confirmation and and to want to be so much, uh, uh, so relevant to the culture that they just become really, really comfortable with you, so much so that they're not challenged by you. And I think that one of the prayers that Jesus had was to, for us to gain a perspective, for us to, to see some things clearly. And one of the things that we have to see clearly is that we are unique in this world. We are different from other people if we're born again. The Bible says we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a unique and new creation in each of us who are born again. Does not take pleasure out of our lives, but it does help us to define it. It certainly promotes purity in our lives. And and we should... We should protect our lives from being diluted by the world around us in an effort to reach the world around us. And for that, there has to be perspective. We have to constantly have a perspective. We have several medical people here. You have to constantly have a perspective on what you're doing when you're dealing with other people. You know the three-second rule? You know, three-second rule, drop something on the floor, the ground, you can still pick it up and eat it if you grab it within three seconds. <clears throat> How many of you are familiar with the three-second rule? You raise your hand, okay? How many of you, it's like, more like 10, 15 seconds? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. My deal is if I can find it. <clears throat> and, you know, some days, it's like two or three days later, oh, wow, look. <clears throat> I wonder where I dropped that. <clears throat> in, in, <laughs> in the medical world, <clears throat> you, you have to have a perspective, a little different perspective. There's no three-second rule. I, I had to go to the, the doctor last Monday and, and uh, have a little thing taken off my face. And, and uh, the, the, uh, the PA that did it had this kit that, that she brought in to, to work with and, and you know, had she dropped one of those things on the floor, 
I would not have expected her to pick it up and blow it off and say, okay, <clears throat> it's going to be all right. She had to <clears throat> have a constant perspective on who she was and what she was doing. <clears throat> this is what Jesus was praying for you and me, is that we would have a, a perspective. These were sent with a calling, and each of them had a calling on their lives, one that was clear, and it was for a lifetime. Every believer has a calling. Are you a born-again believer? If you are, you have a calling. Yours is not to just sit and soak, it's to stand and serve. <clears throat> there is a, a calling for your life. We're saved to serve, so we should be serving. And like <clears throat> the disciples, we have been sent into the world, and, and we are sent into the world not to live the world's life, but to live God's will for our lives. And, and let me just say this. Not only were they sent into the world, but they were sent into the world with power. In John 20 and verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The, the way the disciples would be sent into the world is the way that you and I are sent into the world. We're not sent into the world powerless. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus prayed for the disciples, and he prayed for you and me. He prayed for us to find our position in serving and serve in the same way that he sent his disciples to serve. So thus far, we have seen that Jesus has prayed for us to have pleasure, to have purity, to have protection, and we've seen that we are to have a perspective and that we should see our position in this world. Here is a sixth thing, and that is proliferation. I do not ask for these only, Commission also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now we know that when Jesus took communion with his disciples, he was thinking about you and me. I told you about that a couple of weeks ago, but he was thinking about you and me. Jesus had us on his mind. He said, I'm not just praying for these only, but for those who will believe in me because of their word. You know who that is? It's you and me. We are the compound interest of what Jesus did in the lives of these disciples. We are the multiplied interest. When he prayed in the garden, we were on his mind. When he was nailed to the cross, we were on his mind. In 1984, Ronnie Henson wrote a wonderful Southern gospel song that says, while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Brother Larry, let's get a quartet together and sing that next Sunday. That'd be a good way to finish our series. While he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Can you think of that? 
that while he was on the cross, we were on his mind. How does that work? <clears throat> Jan and I had the, the privilege of, of uh, going a week ago Friday night to that dinner for Coach Bowden over at the Civic Center. And we never really had our picture made with Coach Bowden, and everybody was getting their pictures made with him. Jan said, let's go up there and get our pictures made. Now, Jan had made a blackberry cobbler for Coach Bowden two or three weeks earlier. And so we went up there, and and, uh, he hugged Jan, gave her a kiss, and kind of turned a cold shoulder to me. And we leaned in and got our pictures made, and he looked at her and he said, at blackberry cobbler he said you know what I ate that for the next two name two or three days <clears throat> now you have to understand thousands of people had come in there this was the <clears throat> first time he had been back to Florida State uh, since he ended his coaching at Florida State or since his coaching was ended at Florida State <clears throat> it was the first time he had been back there and we walked away from that and I said Jan you know what <clears throat> out of all the stuff that's going on, he was thinking about your blackberry cobbler. And that just amazed me. More amazing than that, far more amazing than that, is that when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, you were on his mind. <clears throat> when Jesus was nailed to the cross, you were on his mind. They beat him, you know, that scourge. He was thinking about you. When, when he hung there and, and there was such chaos around him, we were on his mind. That's as true today as it has ever been. Not only were we included, but all who would come after us our children. One of my grandsons is in the service today. Jesus was thinking about him when he was praying for the disciples. He was thinking about the children that someday Bradford might be the father of when he was praying with the disciples. He was thinking of you, and he was thinking of me. He was thinking of those across the street, and he was thinking of those around the world when he prayed. From the beginning, it was his intent for the gospel to go viral, and it did go viral, and it began circling the globe and finding hillsides and hamlets, and is still doing so today where the name of Christ has not been preached. And during his prayer in the upper room with the disciples, Jesus was thinking about those people in the highways and the hedges who are yet to be reached. The text today is John 17, verses 13 through 21. The only verse that has not been covered is the last where Jesus speaks to our purpose. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you sent me. I didn't test this out. I should have tested it out, but I didn't. But I read that a tuning fork <laughs> delivers a true pitch by the two tines of the fork vibrating together. If you muffle either side, you just hold either side and strike the other tine of the fork, it will not produce a note. The note disappears. But it's when they work together that the true note comes. They have to be together in purpose. If we really want to impact the world, it will not be by imitating the world, but by challenging the world in unity. And when we resonate with one another as we resonate with God, the world sees a difference. The world does not need for us to be unified with its habits. The world does not need for us to be unified with its values. The world does not need for us to be unified with its morals. The world needs for us to be unified with each other as the Father and the Son are unified. That's how the world needs for us to be unified. When we live with the purpose of displaying our faith by Christian harmony, then the world is more likely to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that the Father indeed sent Him to sacrifice for our sins when the world sees Him in us. Out of harmony, the world doesn't see Him in us. Tom Landry was a wonderful Christian man one of the greatest coaches, I think, maybe in the history of football. And Roger Staubach was one of the greatest quarterbacks that he ever coached or anyone ever coached. They won the national championship in 1971. But Staubach admitted that his position as a quarterback that didn't get to call the signals bothered him just a little bit. Coach Landry called the signals, every one of them, in every play. He told Roger when to pass and when to run, and only in emergency situations did Staubach get to call his own signals. And he had better be right when he did leave the plan and, and call his own signals. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, strategy Pride said to him, I should be able to run my own team. I'm the quarterback of this team. Later, Staubach said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. This is where the victory comes in our Christian lives. When we harmonize with other believers on the person and the power, the purity and the perspective and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for us to have victory in this world, this world in which we live. He prayed for us to be affected by our holy living and our sense of purpose and the unity that we have in Him. 
And that's what Jesus prayed for us. And that's what brings fulfillment and victory in a world today. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.